FT Weekend Food and Drink is supported by Plymouth Gin. Hi, FT Weekend listeners. Welcome to the last episode of our four-part mini-series on food and drink. For each one, I'm approaching a different expert in the food world that's really good at something, and I'm asking them to teach us about that thing. Today, we have Natasha Pikowitz on the show. Natasha is a three-time James Beard Award finalist for Outstanding Pastry Chef, and for years she led pastry at the beloved Flora Bar and Altro Paradiso. When the pandemic hit, Natasha lost her job. And so she pivoted into a more free, creative style of baking outside of the system. It has more of a DIY, punk, do-it-yourself vibe. And now she hosts these very successful pop-up bake sales all over New York City, which have raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for causes like Planned Parenthood. I invited her on to help make baking and pastry feel less intimidating and more free. She talked to me from her apartment in Brooklyn. So if you hear a cat, that's her cat. Okay, let's get into it. This is FT Weekend, the podcast special edition. I'm Lila Raptopoulos. Here's Natasha. Natasha, hi, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So you're a pastry chef and Mm -hmm. you are known in New York for doing these sort of exciting DIY feeling pop-ups and bake sales and um, they've built this huge loyal audience. But you come from a fine dining background and um, I'm curious if you can tell me first what you initially loved about pastry and baking and how you got into that world. Well, it's so funny that you say that I have a fine dining background because I really see myself as coming from a DIY background and then I sort of tumbled into fine dining and now I'm kind of back where I started. I didn't go to culinary school and I think that's why I sort of approached it from that DIY angle to begin with because Mm -hmm. as you know, you know, with so many of these kind of rarefied industries of chefdom, there's so many levels of gatekeeping that happen at every phase of the way. And it begins with your education, who can Mm -hmm. afford to go. For me, it was simply not possible to go to culinary school. And so it was important for me to work in places where I was able to learn from my colleagues, from my boss, from my peers, from the Mm -hmm. environment that I was in and being paid to work in. Yeah. I'm curious about having like a DIY background and then going into fine dining and then coming out again. Like, how has that affected your style of pastry? Like, what makes a dessert feel like yours? That's such a great question. For me, it's like things that feel not too sweet and sort of honor the ingredients, things that sort of feel like they were made with love and care and aren't too fussy or like belabored over, but Mm -hmm. maybe have like an unexpected twist or is elevated in some way that you might not imagine. Yeah. Your work feels fun and creative. I I was on your Instagram, you post sort of using fig leaves on your cakes and these sort of like galettes that are full of fruits and vegetables and sort of playful. Um, it's nice for an amateur baker to see too, because, you know, I think we normally think of pastry and baking as much more scientific and less creative than cooking. Like we have to adhere to the recipe rules very diligently, um, or we're going to mess it all up. Um, 
And do you think that's true? Like, can you free us of that feeling? I'm sure to a degree, a little bit of it, it is true, but. Oh my gosh. I mean, I could talk about this forever. I'm actually in the process of putting the final touches on my first cookbook. It's going to be out next spring. And I think it's really tackling this very idea where I, you know, I think that people see baking and cooking as two very distinct approaches to working and processing food. You know, you can add tomatoes into a sauce and they'll break down and make it like kind of jammy and delicious. I think with baking, there's a little bit of fear that goes into it because you make a batter and then you have to put it in an oven and close the door and you can't even see what happens. You just have to trust that 45 minutes from now, you're going to get this beautiful cake when it comes out. But I think once you sort of understand the basic fundamentals, that's where you can kind of go off the path and improvise. Once you realize, oh, butter will give you this crumb instead of olive oil or yeast will make things rise like baking powder, then you can sort of make these swaps and sort of cook through feeling. Like I have this olive oil cake recipe that I love. Good. I was going to say, could you take us through an example? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I have this olive oil cake recipe that I love. It's my workhorse. Over the years, I've tweaked it endlessly. And I Mm. know that if I sort of abide by similar proportions of flour to sugar to liquid, I will still have a cake no matter what. Just the other day, you know, I didn't have olive oil. I used coconut oil. I didn't have milk. I threw in some buttermilk. I didn't Mm -hmm. have the orange juice it called for. So I like, I had this, um, like ginger juice that like you kind of take a shot of in the morning. I threw that in there. You know, I I didn't have enough, um, wheat flour. So I threw in some cornmeal. Like I know that as long as I'm sort of adhering to a basic structure and ratio of things, it's going to be a cake in the end. And it came out delicious and it was super interesting. Yeah. Right. That's interesting. So, so say you're sort of a home cook, a beginner baker, and you want to be creative or a little experimental with baking. And you know, there are some rules you need to get down first. Would you recommend like starting with like a cookie recipe or a cake recipe and just doing it a few times? Or would you like, how would you, what would you recommend? I mean, there's so many ways to go about this. Like everyone has that one thing that maybe they've made and feel slightly more confident about. Like maybe it's a biscuit or maybe it's a chocolate chip cookie. While I'm mixing something, I'm taking notes and paying attention with my, with all of my senses. I'm like, using the sense of smell when it's baking the oven, what a batter looks like as it's in the mixer, Mm. you know, what it smells like once I've added the vanilla extract. Like, I think it's a combination of like repetition and being present. I had a very structured way of teaching my cooks how to do anything. Mm. And we had this order of operations, you know, let's say somebody was making a scone Mm-hmm. The first time that scone would get made, I would make it and they would watch. The second time they would make it and I would watch. Mm-hmm. And I would sort of, you know, give them feedback, like help them through it, whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. Then the third time, the idea is they can just go off and do it on their own based right. with having done it with me and their own notes. 
Yeah. It reminds me, I um, I was in Greece a couple months ago and was with this family friend and she taught me how to make, it's not baking, it's cooking, but she taught me how to make this type of kofta um, mm. that's from a region where my grandparents, uh, Greek grandparents are from in Turkey, modern day Turkey. Anyway, they, uh, it was like a very, it was very delicious. And I was watching her and I took notes and I took videos of her. And then I recently, a couple weeks ago, thought like, I just need to try this. Um, and I made it and then I sent it, a photo to her in Greece. And I was like, it looks good, but the meatballs are too hard and whatever. And she (laughs) sent me a bunch of feedback and then I did it again and it was better. And she, they're like, just keep doing it and keep sending it to us. And it became this like really nice dialogue. Um, Exactly. And I think like you're getting at something that I feel is really profound, which is the act of preparing food in my book's case of baking and pastry is this radical act of connecting you to other people, mm-hmm. whether it's in the process of making that thing or whether it's what you do with it when you've made it, who mm-hmm. you're eating it with, if you're giving it to somebody, where it's going. I'm curious to hear about your other influences. Uh, I know that your dad is Ukrainian, right? And your mom is Chinese. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so do you have influences from that in your baking? Yeah, <laughs> actually, I would say my mom is an incredible cook. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, as you know, like sweets, dessert is not a huge thing in Chinese culture. Mm-hmm. It's not, that was never really part of her repertoire or skill set. And that was something that we used to like, I used to tease her a lot, mm-hmm. a lot about when I was younger, because every so often she would be like, this shortbread cookie is too much butter and too much sugar. And then she would make this cookie that would be like rock hard and inedible. Sorry, mom, but like just like awful. And I'm like, yeah, like sugar and butter, they add fat and flavor, but they also add tenderness, you know? And so it's kind of like you can't really mess around with something too much because then you sort of see like it just goes too far. And she would really try to improv and we would just be like, no, it's like not. <laughs> so it, I think that my interest in cooking and baking pastry specifically was surprising to my family. Right. So what brought you to pastry? <laughs> I think it's this kind of ineffable magic of pastry is the thing that brings people together. Yeah. Dessert is the thing that you celebrate over. And I think I was more drawn to that aspect of things than like actually even eating the cake itself. Like, of course, like I love cake, but I'm more interested in having a birthday party for someone, like celebrating someone on their last day of work, like getting to know a new neighbor. Pastry is sort of the reason why you can have all these things. Yeah, you're right. It's sort of the act of celebration. The last thing I'd love to do with you is a quick speed round. Okay. A couple fun questions. Favorite fruit that's in season right now to bake with? I'm obsessed with nectarines. I am going to give you a hot take that I think that nectarines are better than peaches because nectarines wow. are peaches without the fuzzy stuff on the outside. <laughs> that's true. And they have like a stronger acidity. So yeah. they're amazing to bake with because you get that brightness when you put them in a tart or make a jam with them or put them in a pie that you might not get with a fruit that's like naturally much sweeter. Mm -hmm. They're just a perfect fruit. Cool. Um, Last revelation that you had in the kitchen. 
I would say to go back to what you were saying about the fig leaves, that was a Mm -hmm. huge one for me. And I think a lot of the best discoveries kind of come about because of lack of something or you're trying to be resourceful or you think you're backed into a corner and you're forced to figure out like how to get yourself out of that corner. So like I was baking at home the other day. I was needed to make a cake to bring to a dinner party. I had run out of parchment paper and I have a big fig tree in my yard and Mm -hmm. I have used fig, fig leaves to flavor custards, to flavor jams for barbecuing, for grilling. I would wrap, you know, like little lamb sausages in these fig leaves and the, it would sort of impart this coconutty flavor to the meat. So I was like, Mm -hmm. maybe I'll try lining this cake pan with fig leaves instead of parchment. And I was so happy with how it came out. The fig leaves sort of crisp up and got kind of tender into like a tender shard, real buttery, very tropical. The smell of it in the oven as it was baking was out of control. And it made the whole cake sort of perfumed with this essence. Right. Last question. It's very hot, at least in New York. Uh, If you don't want to turn on your oven, but you want to experiment with a dessert or make a dessert, what would you recommend? Okay. So my boyfriend and I have been messing around a lot with making popsicles. And oh, cool. Good I think idea. everyone needs to like get back into making the popsicle. <laughs> like he, this is really his thing. He's incredible at it. He, he comes from a bartending cocktailing background. So he thinks mm. about it as making like actual cocktails with alcohol in them. Right, so he makes idea. these like mango popsicles with mezcal in them. He made like a white peach popsicle with anisette and sherry in it. That was insane. He did one with like this isolation gin, summer gin with uh, roasted strawberries. I I love this because it's a way to play around with all of the fruit that's in the markets right now. Mm -hmm. There's so much available. If you don't want to like cook it into a jam or make a pie, you can just buzz it all up like you're making a smoothie and like pour it into a dish or like ice cube tray or popsicle tray or whatever. And then you have this thing like who doesn't love a popsicle? Yeah, it's like, that's genius. That's such a good idea. That's like the new obsession for sure. Uh, Natasha, this was awesome. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to FT Weekend, the podcast from the Financial Times. That is the last of our four-part mini-series on food and drink, and we would love to hear what you think. You can email us at ftweekendpodcast at ft.com. You can say hi on social media. We're on Twitter at ftweekendpod, and I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Lila Rapp. If you missed the others, go to our feed. You can check them all out. You can learn about wine trends from Jancis Robinson. You can learn how to flavor from Shuka and Shuket's Aisha Nurjaya. And you can learn how to find your home cooking style with Andy Baragani. This show was produced by the wonderful Molly Nugent, executive produced by Topher Forges and Cheryl Brumley, and sound engineered by Breen Turner with original music by Metaphor Music. Special thanks to Alistair Mackey. It's summer, and you know what that means. It's time for a Plymouth Gin and Tonic. So grab yourself a glass and some ice. Start with a pourer of Plymouth Gin, which is distilled using a blend of seven botanicals. Add in some tonic, then finish with a slice of orange. Now that 
is the perfect gin and tonic. Plymouth Gin, distilled with care and craft in England since 1793.